Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Okay, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks for coming and joining us here for services here on Christmas. It's just so wonderful to see you, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to share the word this morning with each and every one of you. I know many, if not all of us, got gifts here on Christmas Day yesterday, and uh, we're very happy and surprised to see what we got, and uh, I'm sure some of those are toys are broken, maybe. Some of those gadgets might not work anymore. Um, some of the clothes that you may have received saw the, the last time they'll ever see the light of day. Uh, yet even some of those clothes uh, may already be on their way back to Amazon this morning. So, but we, it was a wonderful day to celebrate with family and celebrate the birth of our, uh, the, our Lord's Son, Jesus. Just a wonderful time. Uh, I, I reflect, when I think about um, the gifts that we received yesterday, it reminds me that there is, in fact, one gift that we got yesterday that we will not return. Uh, one gift that we absolutely love. One gay, uh, gift that will always be with us, will never break and of course, that's our Son of God, Jesus Himself. What a wonderful gift that He gave us yesterday. Um, uh, by His sovereignty and His power, He knew exactly what we needed for Christmas. Today, as um, I'll preach a sermon from Luke, the second chapter, first through 20th verses on the birth of Jesus and Mary and Joseph, recognize that that does not start with the words, once upon a time. It's not a fairy tale, it's what happened. And we're going to talk about what really happened because it's important for us to understand God's sovereignty over us. We, it's important for us to stand under, understand that God had a plan for hundreds and hundreds of years that this was going to happen, and only he knew when it was going to happen. What precious gift that we got, a gift that we don't just celebrate on Christmas morning, but we should and can celebrate every day. Uh, please pray with me. Lord God, please use my words this morning to use this well-known story to uplift the name of your son, Jesus, as well as the purposeful gift of salvation through Jesus, which you intended for us. Help us to not only appreciate and celebrate the joy that you intended for us to experience on Christmas Day, but the joy of your kingdom that we are called upon to enjoy every day. Amen. A word about our scripture before I start. The first is that there are two accounts of the birth of Jesus in the Bible, one in Luke and one in Matthew, and I'll be preaching from Luke this morning, but there's some key differences. So you've heard lots of things about the story, so to help get our, our ducks in the right row and the pieces in the right place, I'll point out that in Luke, Joseph and Mary traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, whereas in Matthew, the story only takes place in Bethlehem. Also in Luke, shepherds were told that this was the story was shared with shepherds. In Matthew, it was the Magi, the three kings. Um, in Luke, it was during the reign of Quirinius. And in Matthew, it was during the reign of Herod the Great. There's no star in Luke. In Luke, Jesus was born in a stable. There was no room at the inn. In Matthew, he was born in a house. Um, in Luke, the focus is on Jesus as our Christian Savior, not just the Savior of the Jewish people, but all of us, Gentiles and Jews alike. And in Matthew, the focus is on Jesus the Messiah, looked upon by the people of Israel to be that one Savior that would take them out of subjugation. Luke emphasizes the humble beginnings 
of Jesus and his birth. He really is focuses on Jesus being, being born in a very humble manner as a helpless baby in a feeding trough amongst animals on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a silent night many years ago. For him, the angels announced his birth to ordinary shepherds, lowly people, ordinary people, rather than the great and the famous and the powerful. There was no room for Joseph and Mary at the end. Very humble beginnings. Jesus was, as I said, placed in a feeding trough. So Luke emphasizes that, and we'll talk about the reason that God wanted the story to begin there, in a very humble beginnings. Um, the theme I think we'll talk about this morning has to do with um, how the birth of Jesus Christ demonstrates God's sovereignty over all of us. It demonstrates his power over him. He selected the when, the where, and the how very specifically to introduce Jesus to this world. With regards to his timing, if we look at Galatians, fourth chapter, fourth verse, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The fullness of time means that God sent his son to us at the right time, the right moment in history for a very specific reason. It wasn't an accident that he chose that particular time, that particular junction of what was going on. Um, God's providential oversight of the events of the world had directed and prepared peoples and nations for the incarnation and ministry of Jesus Christ and for the proclamation of the gospel at that time. That time, while it's 2,000 years ago, is relative to today. The impacts of over history that gets us to today was because of the planning of the date of when Jesus came to us. So, when has God decided to do something in your life that was unexpected? Right? I didn't know they were going to sing that song, remind me of my mom this morning. When is God going to do something in your life that's unexpected? God's sovereign power brings us those surprises. He brings to us what we need when we need it, and we need Jesus. So let me try to explain. Sovereignty is a big word, and you hear sovereignty preached about from time to time, and it maybe is a little bit of a difficult concept. So I'm going to try to use something to explain what sovereignty means, what all-powerful means. I'm going to do this with uh, this coffee cup, and in this envelope I have an ant. So I'm going to take this ant, and I'm going to pour this ant in the coffee cup. So, Jesus, in this case, I have control over this ant. I can let him walk around in here. I can determine whether he escapes. I have all the power over this ant. Or I could give the, the ant the choice to escape the cup. God has power over all of us, yet he gives us choice. He can leave the ant in the cup. I could leave the ant in the cup. I could crush the ant. Or I could throw the ant back in the band. But Jesus has power of us, as I do over this ant. That is God's sovereignty. We have choice, yet the ultimate choice is his. God choose, chose to bring his son into this world as a helpless, helpless baby. It's our choice on whether we choose to follow him. 
As we look at the way that God works in our lives, please ponder and appreciate the intentional presence of Jesus Christ in our lives, the intentional timing of his birth to affect us, to help us know what our Savior needed to be. That was intentional. Appreciate how God has used his sovereign power, his sovereign power in our lives, as I just did with that ant. It's important to understand God's power of us. And bringing Jesus into this world is one of the first great ways we as Christians understand what his power means. So, the story. So 2,000 years ago, this happened. Luke 2, first verse. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So, Caesar Augustus. The story is as much about three kings as it is about anything else. The first king was born, lived, died, and was buried 2,000 years ago. That's Caesar Augustus. He's still dead. <laughs> he didn't rise, the first king. The second king was also born 2,000 years ago, died, and also was placed in a tomb, yet he still lives. He's sitting at the right hand of the, our Father in heaven today to come back one day at the, at the revelation. And the third was indeed the king who was the king of the very first day of creation. Our Lord who sits and, and governs over all of us. So we've got three kings, the first being Caesar Augustus. Let's talk a little bit about Caesar Augustus. Caesar served, Caesar Augustus served for 41 years as the uh, as the emperor of the Roman Empire, which was a long time because they tended to kill each other. Caesar Augustus became uh, uh, the emperor because he was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. His real name was Gaius Octavius Thurinus, and Octa as his name was Octavius, he was the eighth. And so when Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar died, Caesar Augustus took over the throne and immediately the Roman Senate gave him the name Augustus, so he would be Caesar Augustus. Augustus meaning supreme, sublime, exalted one. The Roman Senate also voted him a god. So Caesar Augustus was supreme, sublime, exalted, a deity, the greatest man in the empire. During his reign, he created as many as 50,000 Miles of roads, he governed over a peoples of 60 million people in a territory that was a million square miles. During his reign, there was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, which was a time of relative peace in the Roman Empire that they hadn't seen for many, many years. He reformed the tax system. He did many, many things as Caesar Augustus. He was supreme, sublime, exalted, a deity of the Roman Empire. For our story, however, Caesar Augustus Gaius Octavius will consider him as little Caesar. <laughs> so, despite all of the human accomplishments that have caused to be created and all the havoc that he created, Rome is no longer an empire and Caesar is no longer, Caesar Augustus is no longer with us. God is, Jesus Christ is, little Caesar is a pizza pitch man at this point. <laughs> so I ask you, you can take down little Caesar now, uh, 
Who have you allowed to have power over you? Who have you allowed to have sovereign power over you? Is it someone that has promised to deliver you from the evils of another political party? Is it a boss or a corporate superior that treats your career as an afterthought? Perhaps it's a parent that's failed to transition from control to influence. There are many ways in which we can have people become our little Caesars and forget who really controls and rules our lives. Continuing this in, the, in, the, uh, in Luke, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So in those days, there was two reasons where you do a census. The one is to find out how much money you had, how much money you earned, how many whatever sheep you grew in order to tax you. And the other reason to determine how many young men were of military age and they would be conscripted, conscripted into the army. Not too differently than sort of our census today, but nevertheless, those were the two reasons. In fact, Rome really had no need for you to go back to the, your home town. That was likely something that the Jewish leaders said because they wanted to keep track of the genealogy of the Jews living in that area. So that's why, that's why Joseph and Mary had to go back to, to Bethlehem. And you can look at Matthew 1, first chapter, first verse, and it tells you all about the genealogy of Joseph. And you can see they keep very careful track of the 14 generations from David to Joseph. And in fact, once again, the reason that the Jewish authorities wanted you to go back to your hometown, to the home that you came from, to keep track of the genealogy of the people who lived. So this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So there's been a debate about who Quirinius was and whom was lead, who was the leader of the world at the time. And it turns out that um, Quirinius served as the legate of um, Syria uh, from AD 4 and therefore. And the, the legate is the person who is basically the governor of the area. He's responsible for the the soldiers, the legion that's actually posted particularly there. So according to Luke, Jesus was born during the reign of Quirinius. Um, Herod the Great, however, had died six, uh, years, uh, uh, six AD, about 10 years beforehand. Um, he was also, he was under the Roman authority, but uh, when he died six years before and his son took over as the king of Judea, eventually the Romans wanted to get rid of him, which they did, and they put Quirinius in place instead to collect better taxes and to take over the, um, what had previously belonged to Herod. So this is a time where there was a transition going on between Herod the Great and Quirinius as the Roman-led leaders of Judea. This was a time of change, a time of conflict in the area, a time in the fullness of God that God decided to bring his son Jesus to be with us. It was intentional. This was a time that God felt it was important that Jesus be brought into this world. Third verse. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
The scripture says that he went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. Well, it turns out that Bethlehem is south of Nazareth. But what it meant is he went up elevation-wise. Nazareth is about 1,500 feet lower than Bethlehem. So he traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem about 90 miles uphill. The trip normally would take at about 20 miles per hour, about four or five days to walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem. If you happen to be very much pregnant, you're probably going to be a little bit slower than that. Call it six, maybe seven days to walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Uh, in some peach, pe uh, 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 pictures, it's pictured that Mary is riding on a donkey. I'm not sure that a pregnant woman really wants to ride on a donkey over 90 miles. 90 miles is about, if you've ever driven from Houston to Dallas, when you get to Bucky's, that's 90 miles. So, Joseph and Mary were basically walking from here to Bucky's, and they did it about six, to six or seven days, and amongst other people around them. So, in the fullness of time, all of this was no coincidence, but God's sovereignty at work. So, let's go back and look at a prior uh, piece of scripture, that's from Micah, Micah 5th chapter, 2nd verse. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So in the fullness of time, God spoke about the coming of Christ, including his bloodline and where he was to be born. That's God's sovereignty at work. 800 years, 800 years before the birth of Christ was when Micah made this prophecy. In the fullness of time, time, it was a time of conflict for the people of Israel when Micah made the prophecy. This was just before they were taken away by the Assyrians. This was a time that the entire country of Israel was imploding. So God chose at that time for the prophet to be, prophecy to be known that he would bring a savior. And then, unbeknownst to them, it would take 800 years for that prophecy to be fulfilled. That's God's sovereignty at work. That's God knowing what's the right time and what's the right place. God knew that the power of sin represented by the Roman Empire, must be brought to an end, and he sent Jesus to fulfill that task. Time to make him, it was time to make himself known to the whole world by sending his son. Christmas, then, is not just a celebration of the birth of Jesus, but a celebration of God's sovereign desire to bring us a Savior, someone who was going to make a difference in our lives. We're talking about the real king here. We're not talking about little Caesar. Continuing, 6th to 7th verse. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them at the inn. Very famous part of that verse. And I know when you go up and down OST, some of the older um, inns and motels and notels have a little sign outside and it says vacancy or no vacancy. You can tell when there's a vacancy just by driving by and looking at the sign. Well, there were no signs in Jesus's day saying whether there was a vacancy or no vacancy. In fact, probably there was no true inn. Bethlehem was a small place. It wasn't big enough to have 
a true inn. It wasn't on the main road going to Jerusalem, which where you would have found inns. Instead, it was a place where caravans likely stopped overnight. So caravans uh, of the people, uh, Mary and Joseph and other, others would travel, and they would stay at these caravan stopping places. Not a truck stop, really, but a, a relatively rural place, and it would be an enclosure within which the animals could be kept because many of the travelers were bringing animals with them. There were stalls along the side where travelers and families could rest and get out of the weather. It was likely that one of those stalls was not available to Mary and Joseph. Instead, they had to stay in the middle where the animals were, hence the trough, etc. right? The other alternative was, in fact, that they possibly could have stayed in a home because in those days when you traveled, you stayed with relatives. And since David was from Bethlehem, he could have been staying in, uh, with a relative someplace. But even then, those houses, they would live in one-room houses with dirt floor, and then was one raised area over in the corner where the family would stay and, and sleep and out of the weather. And often the animals were brought into the house right, uh, when it was inclement weather or to protect them from wolves or thieves or whatever. So even if they had stayed with kinfolk in their homes, there still would have been a manger inside of the house. There still would have been animals inside of the house. And Jesus still would have been brought in the same humble circumstances. So whether it was a, as a caravanserai, which is the name of it, or whether it was staying with kin, nevertheless, they were amongst the animals. Jesus was born, and what kept him warm were likely the animals that were around him in very humble uh, circumstances. So why in God would God in his sovereign power decide for Jesus to be born in, in, in a manger rather than in a palace? Well, the answer is that Jesus, so that Jesus would be approachable, accessible, and available. What if he'd been born in a palace like Caesar Augustus? He wouldn't have been as approachable, accessible, and available. God wanted to make sure that Jesus was clearly known that he was there for us. He was not there for the powerful. He wanted to have him born in a place where his message could be about love, not about power. So he was not born in a palace like little Caesar. He was born in a very humble abode amongst animals and laid in a manger um, with swaddling clothes, which are basically long wraps that you wrap around the child, keeps their legs straight, keeps them tight, makes them feel comfortable. That's the circumstances which in which he was born. Another part of Scripture which speaks to his sovereignty comes from Ephesians, first chapter, third through fifth, voice, third, fifth uh, verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God had been planning this since before the foundation of the world. He had been planning for Jesus to be amongst us and to be amongst him as his people. He was, we were predestined us for adoption to himself. The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is 
God's plan. Not just the day on which he was born, but when the prophecies were made at the beginning of time, and even to this day, this was all part of God's sovereign plan for us, to share his love for us. Those humble circumstances, unlike those which little Caesar lived in, being born in an inn, a temporary stay in an inn, I might add, uh, which is consistent with Jesus' temporary stay at that time on this earth, helpless in a manger. So we heard about all the folks this, uh, this morning who are having birthdays, and happy birthday to y'all that are having birthday. Those of you all out in TV land, happy birthday to you, and I'm happy you're joining us this morning. Um, but where were you born? Was anyone in here born in a manger? Did anyone get placed in a feeding trough when you were a little child? Any? How about swaddling clothes? Does any of y'all have swaddling, have swaddling clothes when you were babies? None of us were born in quite that circumstance. Through God's sovereignty, we are taught through Christ the meaning of love, and for that we should get down on our knees in awe and praise at his sovereignty. Eighth verse. And at the same time, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds, as we've heard, are not the most savory characters. They work out in the dirty area, in the out, outdoors. They often can't come to the religious services, the Jewish religious, religious services, so they were looked down upon. In fact, many people looked upon the shepherds and thought they were thieves because they were doing work on other people's land. They were not the most savory characters. Yet, God chose to reveal the birth of Christ to shepherds. Now, it turns out these shepherds may not have been your typical shepherds. Um, they were uh, taking care of a flock, and in those days, generally you didn't have flocks in the field at that part of December, but they were likely taking care of the sheep, perhaps, that were to be used for sacrificial purposes in the temple. Right? So these shepherds may have also been priests. Certainly they would have been familiar with the prophecy of Micah with regards to the arrival of Christ. So when they saw that angel show up, it was an exciting moment because they'd been hearing and praying and thinking about their Savior for 800 years. And all of a sudden, for the first time in 500 years, an angel shows up. And an angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For until you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. As I said, nobody had seen an angel since the book of Zechariah 500 years beforehand. Angels? Now, what does an angel look like? Does he have a harp? Wings, a flowing robe, is a little fat baby flying around with wings. We, you know, God does not describe what an angel looks like. All these things and all these pictures in Italy and wherever, those are men's creations. Uh, the angels were made by God and they are eternal. They were there to glorify and worship God the Father and God the Son. There are good angels and there are bad angels. There were a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven into hell during in the book of Revelation. Job actually spoke of over a thousand angels. 
The book, the Bible doesn't describe them. We don't know exactly what they look like, but you'd know one if you saw one, right? And you would probably be afraid because out of nowhere, here they were in a silent night guiding the, taking care of the sheep, and an angel shows up. No wonder they were afraid. This angel shows up to change what the Mosaic law had already taught them. So why did God tell the angels first? Well, if you had good news, who would you tell? Who would, you, would you tell a lonely shepherd who was going to go out and tell everybody else because he was completely amazed? Or would you tell Caesar Augustus or someone in a palace who might figure out how they were going to use that information for their own purposes and twist it and change it or whatever? No, you're going to share that, one, that information with someone who has the capacity to be humbled and who wants to share with the rest of the world what they have seen and what is amazing. Second, as very ordinary people, they only wanted to tell the world rather than use the knowledge for their own purposes. Why was Jesus born of, of a woman? Why didn't he just create him like he did with Adam? God chose this. Out of his sovereign power, he chose to bring Jesus as a baby in a humble environment. 13th chapter. Excuse me, 13th verse. And suddenly there was the angel, with the angel, multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The shepherds weren't coming to see Mary and Joseph. They were coming to see Jesus. They were coming to see the Savior. They had been waiting as a people for hundreds and hundreds of years for their Savior, and here he was, angels declaring his arrival. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had learned, heard, and seen as it had been told them. So the shepherds were the first people to go out and tell everybody about Jesus. They were the first evangelists. They were the first people who shared the good news. Is Christmas time an opportunity for us to share the good news of Jesus like the shepherds did 2,000 years ago? I think it is. Why was Jesus born when he was? Well, in the fullness of time, based on God's wisdom. Remember that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, so for that amount of time was nothing to God. But it was the right time, in the fullness of time, that Christ was chosen to be born. The good news first announced by the angels and evangelized by mere shepherds is what celebrating Jesus is all about. It's what celebrating a Christmas is all about. Yes, our birthdays are very special to us individually and, 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 and as, as in with Jesus. But what's more important was that Jesus was a gift to all of us. It's not so much about the gifts that he received, but the gift that we received yesterday and that we should celebrate every, every year, every, every day. Our sovereign God gave Jesus to this world. God fulfilled his promise to bring a savior to this world as promised. 
He chose to bring Jesus at a time of unprecedented rule of little Caesar over 60, 60 million people, a ruler himself that considered himself God. God chose to bring Jesus into the world in the most humble of circumstances uh, to show that power does not come from riches and wealth, but comes from love itself, because Jesus is love. He chose in that time, uh, time to announce the arrival of the king through lowly shepherds, and he brought Jesus into the world in a very humble circumstances in a stable amongst animals in the countryside 2,000 years ago. Little Caesar ruled by conquering lands and subjugating people. Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave by suffering and dying, by bearing the full weight of God's wrath towards the evil of the world and then rising again to new life. So who truly is our king? Jesus or little Caesar? Who do we choose to follow? Who do you choose to follow? Life with Christ or death through pretenders? I'd like for each of you to take a couple of things and thoughts with you this today as we, I finish this talk. The first is, know how has God been sovereign in your lives? What coincidences have happened that can only be explained by God's presence? What are the coincidences and why did those things happen to you in your lives? Know and think about that. Who are the little Caesars in your life pretending to be false kings? How do you keep from allowing those little Caesars to have power over you. And third, rejoice in the birth of our son, Jesus Christ, every day, not just on Christmas. In this weary world, let us rejoice. God has given us a true gift. Be glad of it. Let us pray. Lord, our all-powerful God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Born in humble circumstances amidst the sin of the world, we give you praise and thanks for your power and the precious sovereign blessing that you bestowed on us then and provide for us now. We celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for our choice to follow him in his precious name. Amen.